please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. My church just about killed me a couple of years ago. I was really young when we started the church, and very similar to you guys, from day one, God was up to something unique and special, and it was fantastic, but at the same time, it was exhausting. You know, church planning is a cross between a tech startup and D-Day. It just takes a lot out of you. And the first year was really hard, but so much fun. The second year was really hard, but it was still good. The third year was just really hard, that's all. And by the fourth year, I was dying, like on the edge of a nervous breakdown at dying, stressed out, racked by anxiety, on edge all the time with my wife and family. And a huge part of the problem for me was that I love my job to a fault. I mean, my, I think, kind of default setting is workaholism, and that's one of the many sins that in our culture is okay, if not actually thought of as a virtue, right? Especially in a city like San Francisco. And I mean, if you ask somebody, think about how often you ask people, hey, how are you? What do people usually say? I'm good, but I'm what? Busy. How often do you hear that? Yeah, a lot. How often do you say that? Yeah, every single day. And in our culture, particularly in a city like San Francisco, busy has become a moniker for important. To say I'm busy is to say I matter, I'm interesting, I have a good job, I'm cool, I know people, whatever. And so we are so dang busy. We are busy with work, 40 hours a week is a thing of the past. 86% of Americans work well over 40 hours. So-called labor-saving devices like email and the smartphone have now made the office something that we carry around in our back pocket. So you used to have to commute to work, remember that? It was like before a lot of your time. Like you had to like actually go there. Now all you have to do to go to the office is roll over in bed in the morning and unlock your phone. It's everywhere that we go. We're working more hours than ever before. The Japanese have a phrase, karoshi, and it actually means death by overwork. That's a thing, like karoshi is a thing, right? So you're like, yes, this is San Francisco. We know all about that. Americans uh, actually work 137, I read a study recently, 137 more hours per year than the Japanese, 260 more hours per year than the British, and 500 more hours a year than the French. <laughs> we work more than any other nation in the world. So we are busy with work, but it's not only that, we're also busy with play, right? In a city like San Francisco, and the same is true of my city, Portland, there is so much to do, so much to eat and drink and buy and sell and see and watch and take in and visit and experience that it is at times exhausting. I mean, this city, I've been here all week, it's fantastic. It's like a vortex of hedonism. It's just Tartine Bakery. Have you been there? Oh my gosh, it's, that's a whole other sermon right there. And so what happens is that we overfill our life well past capacity with work and email and the iPhone and social media and friends and a night out in the town and church and community group and justice and shopping and travel and thing after thing. And we speed up to this frenetic, nonstop, go, go, go pace where we are always busy. 
and it does something at a soul level. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. The byproduct of a life where you're always at that pace is anger and anxiety and a feeling of disconnect from God and those around you, a lack of love and empathy. There is a kind of busyness that goes past your schedule and into your interior being. So there I was a number of years ago on the edge of burnout, like really not doing well, and thinking about quitting the job that I used to love and now was tired of and stressed out about. And I came across this little book, uh, a number of decades old now, by the Jewish mystic Abraham Joshua Heschel. It was a book on the Sabbath. And honestly, it was for me, as a pastor, as a teacher of the Bible, the Sabbath was a brand new idea that changed my life. I had to learn not only a theology of work, but also a theology of rest. Work and rest live in a symbiotic relationship. You can't talk about one without the other. And the scriptures have so much to say about both. So today, let's start off in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Skip down to the very end of the chapter, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very, what? Good, and there was evening, and there was morning, or there was time, the sixth day. So in the story, for six days, God is hard at work. He creates the sun and the moon and the stars. He creates the entire planet that we now call home and everything in it. And as his magnum opus, God creates human male and female, to rule over his fledgling world. And if you think your week was productive, it's nothing. Like this is God making everything. And then watch what happens next. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested. I repeat, God rested. I don't really need to. I'm kind of type A. I'm good. I don't really need to take it. God rested. After six days of kind of universe making, of that kind of work, even God said, okay, enough is enough. It's time to rest. The word rested is sabbat in Hebrew, where we get this word Sabbath. It means to stop or to cease or to be done. Notice that in the story, rest is a verb. It is something you do. The idea here isn't that God was worn out. No, it's more like that feeling you get after a long, hard day's work where you pull up a chair, you look over all that you've done and you think to yourself, not bad. It's that deep sense of satisfaction you get when you love what you do and you're good at it. In fact, sabbat can actually be translated to celebrate. That's the idea behind the Sabbath, an entire day set aside to celebrate, to delight in the world and everything that we call home and food and drink and nature and sunshine and beauty. 
in your life in it, your job, the roof over your head, your family, your church, your community, your story of healing at the hands of Jesus, and above all, in God himself. Just to take a day and to reorient your being and to fill up your thought life with the reality of who God is. The Sabbath is a day when God has my rapt attention. When I tune out and I let all of the noise and chaos and distraction of life in the digital age in an urban city with a busy demanding job, I set all of that down and I tune into the frequency that is the reality of God. The Sabbath is a day when I am fully available to my family and to my friends. It's a day when my phone is off, my email is closed, and I don't care who you are, you can't get a hold of me. It's a day with no to-do list, when I don't accomplish anything and I don't feel guilty about it. It's a day to recalibrate my soul to stop running away from all the angst and questions and doubt and fear and guilt and shame and mistakes I made, to stop the escapism and to actually stare it in the face, deal with it, sit in the good and the bad of my life and bring it all before God and set it down. Today, to delight and all that is good and beautiful and true, to both mourn and to celebrate. That's what it is, it's a day of celebration and it comes once a week. God worked for six days and then he rested for one. And in doing so, God built into creation like a rhythm, just into the fabric of creation itself. For six days we work, we wrestle with the earth to wring profit out of its hands. And then we stop, we take a deep breath, and we rest. Now, before we move on, notice two things right here in the story that's open in front of you. First off, notice that God blessed the seventh day. In Genesis 1 and 2, God blesses three things, animals, humans, and the Sabbath. And with animals and humans, this blessing, or barak is the word in Hebrew, like the president, this this barak, this blessing, is a life-giving ability to procreate, to fill the earth up with more life. So God blessed the animals and he said, be fruitful and increase in number. Then he blessed Adam and Eve, or humanity, and said the exact same thing, be fruitful and increase in number. And then he blessed the Sabbath. How weird is that? So God blesses the animal kingdom, then he blesses humanity, then he blesses a day of the week? What does that mean? That that means that the Sabbath has a life-giving ability to procreate, to fill the world up with more life. I mean, life is tiring, right? Even if your life is good, Work in particular is a drain on your energy store, no matter how much you love your job. Even if you have your dream job and you love it, you look forward to it every day, by the end of the week, you are tired. But rest does something to you. Rest refills you with life, with creativity, with optimism, with energy, with strength, with vision to go forward, with hope, with joy. Rest is life-giving because God blessed the Sabbath. Secondly, notice the second half of that sentence, God blessed the seventh day and, quote, made it holy. 
Now, the rabbis talk a lot about the principle of first mention. This is a hermeneutic idea, a Bible idea that basically means the first time you read a word in the Bible, it's kind of like a definition. It sets the tone for that word all the way through. Did you know that the first time we ever read the word holy in the Bible is right here? And what is it that God makes holy? Time. This is fascinating because in the ancient Near East, the gods were found in the world of space, in a temple or on a mountain or a river or at a shrine. You would think that in the story, God would make a holy temple or a holy mountain or a holy statue or a holy altar. But instead, it's a holy day. Abraham Joshua Heschel puts it this way. Next slide. The Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. Love that language. He calls the Sabbath architecture in time. Because for this God, the one true creator God, the entire cosmos is his temple, like every square inch of it. And so he's found not only in the world of space, but even more so in the world of time. There is a hierarchy to time. We all know this. Not all moments are created equal. Some are much, much better than others. And the Sabbath is above all the best. So there is a day that is blessed and holy. And the Sabbath stands as an invitation from the creator to the creation, from God himself to all of the image bearers made in his name. For us to mirror and mimic this seven-day cycle of work and rest, to work like God works all week long, and then to rest like God rests, to tap into this rhythm that is built into the nature, I would argue, of God himself. And when we don't accept God's invitation, when we don't stop and rest, when we fight this natural rhythm built into us by God, we reap the consequences. We become emotionally unhealthy and in a lot of other ways as well. Fatigue, exhaustion, burnout, stress, Busyness, anger, anxiety, depression, a weak immune system, a lethargic body, your mind kind of slow, an empty soul, a feeling of disconnect from God. These are all the results of a life without rest. Which is why, as the story goes on, if you read the narrative that is scripture, we see over and over again, we see God call his people back to this rhythm of work and rest. For example, turn over to Exodus really fast. It's just one book over. Turn to Exodus 16. You okay out there? Yeah? Okay. This rainy, cold day. <laughs> you guys are ridiculous. Exodus chapter 16. Let's start off in verse 19. Um, if you fast forward, this is the story of Israel out in the de desert in the middle of something called the Exodus. Israel is hungry and thirsty. It is a long, hard journey. And the people start to grumble and argue and complain against Moses and against God. And so this is what happens. Exodus chapter 16, verse 9. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them this, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp 
When the dew was gone, this is weird, but fascinating, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared in the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, manna in Hebrew, which is a word that means, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Skipped all the way down to 21. Each morning, everyone gathered as much of this manna, this what is it, this bread stuff, as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. But listen, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Two omers, it's a unit of measurement, for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow, and listen here, is to be a day of Sabbath rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Notice that language, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That word holy can be translated dedicated to. So the Sabbath is a day that is dedicated to God. But isn't all of life dedicated? Well, yes, but in a special and unique way, meaning it is a day for rest and it is a day for worship. Make sure you get that. When I Sabbath, I run every single activity through that grid. Is this rest and is this worship? If the answer is yes, then I go for it with joy and freedom and delight. If the answer is no, or kind of, but not really, then I hold off until the following day. There are six other days of the week for whatever. You fill in the blank. Because the Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off. And please make sure that you get the difference here. On a day off, you don't work for your employer, in, in theory. Some of you are like, I do. Well, that's a whole other teaching. But on a day off, you know, you run errands, you go to the bank, you pay the bills, you exercise, you catch up on stuff around your apartment, you work out, whatever it is. You do all the work that you don't get paid for. Also on a day off, you buy, you sell with all the money that you made during the week. I mean, come on, we're Americans. That's how we roll. We go shopping. <laughs> You know, we go to that boutique we love, we see a movie, we, take an, we make an Ikea run, you know, and six hours later, we're back home or whatever. That, that's a day off. But on the Sabbath, all we do is rest and worship. That's it. My guess is that for a number of you, this is a brand new idea. And that's fine. Don't feel bad about that at all. It was for me a number of years ago. Which is why I think that Moses goes on to teach the, the Hebrews how to get ready for the Sabbath. He goes on, bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left until morning. Like you have to gear up for it and prep for it. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. It did not stink or get maggots in it, which was a thing back in the day. Eat it today, Moses said, and listen to this, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's a day set aside for God. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather, you're to work, you're to cook, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, listen to what happens. Some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. It's a fascinating play on words here and kind of dichotomy in the language about how the Sabbath is a command, like God is asking Israel, how, how long will you refuse to keep my commands? But then we read that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is both a command here 
and a gift. You know, there's a lot of controversy and debate now, millennia later, about whether or not we still have to keep the Sabbath in the wake of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and we're now free from the Torah or the law. I mean, now it's the modern world. This is America. Like, do we still have to live in this cycle of work and rest? And most people say, no, there's no command in the New Testament to keep the Sabbath. It was a part of the Torah. And then others say, well, yeah, but that's an argument from silence. The Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. Like, all the other nine are still valid. Why not the Sabbath? Plus, it predates the Torah, or what we call the Levitical law, by millennia. It's in Genesis 1 from the beginning of time. This story right here in Exodus 15 and 16 is way before the Levitical law. This is before the Ten Commandments even. And so people go back and forth. My opinion, whoever is right, is that in, the, in this kind of era of human history that we live in, we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. It's not sin to work more than six days in a row. But the Sabbath still stands as wisdom. That's not going around, going away, because it's built into the fabric of creation itself. There's no command in the New Testament for you to sleep eight hours a night. You don't have to. Like if you sleep five hours tonight, that's not sin. It's just kind of dumb, but it's not sin. You're welcome to, based on your wiring, your personality, how much sleep you need. That's just wisdom. There's no command in the New Testament not to drink 13 cups of coffee a day. But some of you, and I can see who you are right now, you drink way too much coffee. So it's not, that's not sin, it's just stupid. So you're welcome to, but if you want to live an emotionally healthy life and you want to feel and connect and know God and stay present with the people around you, then maybe cap it at two or three, okay, or four if you live, whatever, just not as much. So I think that the Sabbath still stands as a gift from God to the men and women made in his image. But tragically, over the millennia, in particular in the late modern Western world, this gift has gone by the wayside, in part because it's simply un-American. I think we love to work, in particular in a place like this, in a generation like this, and we love to play, like we know all about that, but we don't really even know how to rest, at least not well. But I think it's also, in particular in the church, because of a misreading of Jesus. So I just want to deal with that before we wrap up. Turn over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. You know, for Jesus, Mark 2, for Jesus, the Sabbath was kind of a day to get in trouble. So if you've read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that Jesus wasn't exactly a people pleaser. He kind of had this mischievous side to him where he just kind of liked to, he's just a bit of a gadfly, you know, just like to kind of stir the pot, particular with uptight religious people. Jesus was just really annoyed by those kind of people. Um, and so this is a great example of Jesus kind of tangling with those people on the Sabbath. So Mark chapter 2, verse 23, there? Okay. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, to clarify, there's a whole long story here we don't have time for, it, but there was no law in the Torah or the Levitical law against, you know, snacking on the Sabbath. The, the problem was that the Torah just says don't work on the Sabbath, but it never defines work. Now, if you think about it, it's a little bit ambiguous at times to define what is work and what isn't. So what about exercise? Is that work? 
What about running errands? What about grocery shopping? What about cooking? Is that work? Is that rest? Is that play? Does it depend on your personality? It's not as clear as you would think. So the Pharisees just were so absolutely petrified of on purpose or on accident breaking the Torah, thou shalt not work on the Sabbath, that they did this thing called building a fence around the Torah or building a fence around the law where they would take, say, one command that was in the Bible of the day and they would add, say, 10, 15, 20 around. They would build a fence around it to make sure that nobody got in even close to actually breaking the command in the Bible. So they would build all of these extra rules, regulations, all this legalistic stuff to make sure that nobody would on purpose or on accident break the Sabbath. And one of those was you were not allowed to do this, walk through a field and pick ears of grain. But Jesus just has a very low view of that human tradition that grew up around the Bible of his day. So he answered 25, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need in the days of Abathar, the high priest? He entered the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. It's a story from the Hebrew Bible. And then he said to them, and just key in on this line. This is the teaching of Jesus. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And if you're thinking, well, I'm female, so I'm like, I get out. I get a free pass. No, that's not the idea here. The Sabbath was made for humans, not humans for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, that's a name for Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is Jesus speaking to the cultural ethos of his day. In Jesus' world, in the first century, if you were a Jew, most people needed to hear the second part of that sentence. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. They had lost the plot line, got sucked into legalism, rules, regulations, lost the heart of God around this beautiful idea of Sabbath. But I would argue that here in the modern world, in particular in an urban center, we have the exact opposite problem. It's not that we have hundreds of rules about the Sabbath, it's that we don't have any. For the most part, we don't even take a Sabbath. A day off, sure. A Sabbath, well, kind of or no, not really. I would argue that most of us in the room this morning need to hear the first part of that sentence. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for humanity. And we need it right now more than ever before. In the digital age, where we just are literally wired into infinity everywhere we go and nonstop communication and connectivity and image and posturing and image management, like this whole world, good, bad, and ugly that we live in is nonstop. I dare you to do something this week. Most of you have one of these in your pocket right now or your purse. I dare you to take a day this week, set aside a time, and go to your phone, and there's a little button on the right-hand side. <laughs> hold it down. You hold it for a minute, and you get this, this thing. It says, slide to power off. A lot of you are like, oh, yeah, I know that. When my phone's glitchy, I, I do that, and then I turn it back on. <laughs> like, I dare you. Just go like that. Notice? Yeah, look at that. And then take it and go put it away. And go outside. <laughs> Have coffee with a friend. 
Take a hike, go surfing, and read your Bible, worship God without your phone. Some of you are thinking, is that even legal? <laughs> yes. Is that safe? Is that okay? Listen, human beings were around for millennia before that thing. Like, you'll be just fine. In the digital age, we need it more than ever. And then also in a large urban city like San Francisco where the pace is 90 miles per hour. It's just, you know how fast this city is. Your job, you work long hours, it's tired, there's a commute, it's noisy, there's traffic, there's people everywhere, there's so much to do. We need this so bad. A lot of you are young right now and you're single and you're thinking, well, you know what? I can figure all that kind of rest, emotional health, work, balance stuff. I can figure that out later when I have a wife or a husband and 2.3 kids and I live somewhere else. Or right now I'm just really focused on my career. I have this good job. I'm only gonna be working this way for a couple of, you forget that right now you are building the set of character that you will have for the rest of your life. Right now, if you're in your 20s or even your 30s, you're laying the foundation for your entire life. And right now, through the decisions that you make, the way that you choose to live, everything from diet and exercise to Sabbath, rest, worship, the spiritual disciplines, community, church, worship, work ethic, the decisions that you make now will set you on a cumulative trajectory to become a very specific kind of person for better or for worse. Right now, you are becoming your future. There is no better time than now, no matter what your age is, in particular if you're young, to start to set the habits of a life that is oriented around not only emotional health, but connectivity with God above all. Like now is the time. So what I would argue that now more than ever in the digital age, in an urban world, and the pace of life in a city like San Francisco or even mine, we need so badly to learn or relearn this art form of Sabbath. Because watch what happens next. If you keep going, there's a chapter break, which is kind of a bummer, but in the original Greek, it's all one story. We read this, another time, chapter three, verse one. Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, which they thought was like not okay. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hands, stand up in front of everyone. Imagine how terrifying that would be if I just said, hey, are you sick? You have something here that you're hiding? Stand up in front of everybody. Then Jesus asked them, as the poor guy is just standing there, Jesus starts to preach, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? They remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts their obstinate kind of resistance to what God was up to. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is fascinating on so many levels. I think that one of the things that happens when we read the New Testament, we read the Gospel of Mark and Matthew and Luke and John, is we see Jesus get in kind of a fight or a debate or a back and forth or a tangle like this one we just read with the Pharisees or the religious legalists of the day on the Sabbath. And we kind of think that somehow Jesus is down on the Sabbath, which he's not at all. He was down on this whole like, you lost the plot line heart behind the Sabbath. And what's easy to miss is that actually almost all of Jesus' healings take place on the Sabbath. Where does Jesus usually heal? Well, all over the place, but most of the time it's in the synagogue or and it's on the Sabbath. 
Why is that? Well, I would argue that it's because the Sabbath is a day for healing. The Sabbath is a day when Jesus does some of his best work. When you slow down and you reorient your thinking and your feeling, your body, your time around the person of God, man, really good and beautiful things happen. So John Mark, what are you saying? Like it's really simple what I'm saying, take a Sabbath. <laughs> this is no like, this is so funny, this teaching is so like straight down the middle, it's not complex, it's not hard to understand, it's not really all that creative, or, but this has the potential, honest to God, to change your life. This is one of those teachings that if you just kind of like listen to it, you're like, oh cool, yeah, I should rest more, and then you go back to your life, like it's just basically a waste of your time. But if you actually let this become a part of your life, nuts and bolts, hands on, it has the potential, as it did for me, to absolutely terraform your interior and exterior world. So take a Sabbath. When? Whenever it works. People get all hung up on which day of the week. Is it Friday night to Saturday? Is it Sabbath? Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? Is it, people argue, and that's just, to me, is so an exercise in missing the point. Genesis 1 and 2 does not say which day of the week. It just says the seventh. For the vast majority of you, Sunday is by far the best day of the week. That is the day that you come together for worship. It's a day when the city is just a little bit calmer. Not all that much, but a little bit. Um, for me, Sunday is a work day. And so I'm up early and I'm teaching all day long and I'm in classes in the afternoon and so on and so forth. So for me, Sunday is great, but it's exhausting. So my family and I, we Sabbath um, on Friday night from sunset to Saturday afternoon about six and that works just great. So if you have a weird job or a weird schedule or you're a student or a doctor or you work two or three jobs, just get creative. Take a weird time or set aside four hours here and four hours that like whatever you can to Sabbath. And if you've never done this before, then don't expect it to be easy. Like it is an art form. It is something that we have to learn, just like playing the piano or speaking a second language or a new sport or art. It takes practice. The first time, if you go out this week and you try for the first time, turn off your phone or whatever and Sabbath, like it might be amazing and it might be really hard and awkward and you might feel bored and angsty and on the edge of your seat because you've never done it before. Like give it time takes a while. Over the months and even over the years, you will figure out, you'll tweak it, you'll dial it in, and you'll start to live into this rhythm. You know, it takes a while to figure out, I think because there's no right way to Sabbath. So much of it depends on how you're wired. For example, I am a um, kind of extreme introvert, so I want hours and hours alone on the Sabbath. I want to read, journal, pray, go for a walk in the park. My wife, on the other hand, is a high extrovert and social and life at the party, and so she wants time to read and pray and be with God, but she also wants to get on her bike and go meet a friend for coffee and hang out and go to the city and whatever. That's great. So it took us a while to figure out how to Sabbath together, and we do, and we do it, as I said, from Friday night to 
Saturday afternoon, Friday afternoon is always this like flurry of activity as we gear up for the Sabbath. The writer John calls the day before the Sabbath the preparation day because it is something that you have to prep for and get ready for and shop. And so Friday afternoon, we clean the house and I answer phone calls and text people back and get everything ready and go to the market to pick up food and plan out the day ahead, all of that because it's, it's kind of like gearing up for a weekly holiday. It's like having Thanksgiving or Christmas, but every single week. And so it's so good. We want this day to stand apart from the rest. Last thing I do, I power off my phone. I put my phone and my laptop away in this box in my closet. And then we start. We gather around the table as a family. We have three kids. And we light the candles of Sabbath. And we pour the wine. And don't worry, grape juice for the kids. And um, we're not that European, you know. And, uh, and we read a psalm. We pray. We invite the Holy Spirit and then it's just like right away you feel the spirit of peace come over the home. We eat, we feast together that night, we, we just eat and we have seconds and we have thirds and we, we just eat our way through the Sabbath, it's so good. And we go around the table and we do highlight of the week or low point of the week and we laugh and we go to bed early and still sleep in and then the next day we just spend a day, we don't really do that much. I spend a lot of time just alone and to think and dream. I spend time with my kids. Usually we walk down the street to get donuts or go out to brunch and go to the park if the weather's good, like all two days of the year. And um, you have no idea how lucky you are. <laughs> Can I just say that? Like, oh, moving on. It's a whole moving on. And for us, it is just, it is literally the highlight of our week. Our kids look forward to it all week long. Ask, our two youngest are really young, so they don't really have a good concept of time. So it's, is it Sabbath yet? Is it Sabbath yet? Is it Sabbath yet? No, it was Sabbath yesterday, so not, not yet. <laughs> but even I, as a grown man, I mean, I just, I crave it all week long. And I know if I have a hard week or stress or anxiety or like I know if my schedule is over full that week, I said yes to too much or whatever, at least I know I have that one 24-hour armistice from the war. I know I have that set before me. And this strange, beautiful thing happens as we Sabbath about, I don't know how far in, depends how rough the week was, but usually Saturday morning around 9 or 10, I just have this weird sensation come over my person and it's like I get my soul back. It's like there's something deep inside me, even if life is hard, like we had a beautiful Sabbath right now, there's a whole bunch of really difficult stuff going with, on with our community back home. And even in the midst of all of that, just stress and chaos and some really hard stuff, there was just this sense yesterday morning about 10 a.m. where it was just like, no, it's okay. I feel right. This is okay. I, I feel God. I sense God. I, I have a center. What is that? Is that the Sabbath or is that the Lord of the Sabbath? I would argue it's both and. You know, before I started the Sabbath, uh, my day off was the worst day of the week for me usually. Because I was just so overtired and I was grouchy and on edge. I was addicted to the drugs of accomplishment and accumulation. That cycle that we all get stuck in of work more, buy more, repeat. The Sabbath is a way to break free from that vicious dehumanizing cycle and to just remember who you are as the people of God. Walter Brueggemann has a beautiful little book on Sabbath, and I love this line. He writes, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. 
So Sabbath isn't just a 24-hour slot in your weekly schedule. It is a way of life. In fact, when you start to have that weekly time where you reorient and it's rest and it's worship and you slow down and you really focus on God, the idea is that kind of lasts you through the week. And you start to live at a slower pace, but with more focus and more deliberation and more intentionality. That's why the Sabbath is on day seven in the story right here in Genesis. It's not on day three or four. It's not a break in the middle of the week for you to catch your breath and then go back to work. What really matters? No, the Sabbath is the climax. It's what the entire week is leading up to. And when you Sabbath well, You stay in this spirit of intimacy with God, peace, joy, celebration, trust, all of that all week long. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but there's just too much to do. I have my job and this and the city and I'm young and I'm saying whatever and YOLO, you only live once. I mean, (laughs) come on. Like that's, by the way, YOLO is not theologically accurate. You all know that, right? Just to clarify. (laughs) You sat through this great series the last couple of weeks about eternity, about the new heaven and the new earth. Yes, time is a precious commodity, but we are all, as followers of Jesus, filthy, stinking rich. We have all eternity to go there, to do that, to experience that, to get that stamp on your passport. We have forever. You don't have to do it all, see it all, have it all, buy it all, experience it all. You don't have to do it all now. You have forever. So take a freaking day off (laughs) and rest and breathe and worship and slow down and remember what really matters in life. Let go and trust. One of the best things, and I'll just say this in closing, that happens on the Sabbath is hopefully we start to trust God. We give God all of the good, the bad, the ugly in our life. As Tyler said, and I love that line, for some of you, you just had the best week of your life. I just had a fantastic week. Did I mention it's 60 degrees outside? Others of you, in particular our brothers and sisters in Paris right now, just had the week from hell. And so wherever you are at, you bring all of that before God. You set down your anxiety, your fear, your what if, the pain, questions about the future, doubt, hope, gratitude, desire, contentment, lack thereof. You just, the good, the bad, the ugly, you take it all and you set it before God and you let go and you trust And this is what happens. You realize really fast that the world gets along just fine without you. I love to sit there on the Sabbath sometimes and just think about the fact as I sit in my chair or drink my coffee or walk the park, just think about the fact that, you know what, my church is doing just fine without me that day. My city is doing just fine. The world is doing just fine. And I'm not doing anything. And when you realize that, when you start to trust your life to God, your future to God, your provision to God, your singleness to God, the pain in your marriage to God, the brokenness in your relationship with community or family to God, the questions you have about this, that, or the other decision, when you start to trust that to God and realize that, you know what, I'm not doing anything and and the world is still rotating on its axis. That is so freeing. 
There's a peace that comes with that. There is a, a life that comes to realize that I am not, and I don't mean this in a self-deprecating way or a self-hate way, but in a humility, a genuine authentic humility, I am not nearly as important as I think. I live in a story and I am not the main character. There is a God and I'm not him. Let's stand and pray.